Okay, here we go, here we go. Let's pray and let's go. Here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Hey, thanks for uh, making the extra effort. That was very, very kind of all of you. So, uh, it, this is one week of the year where it's a little, little bit difficult to be here. I'll still try to get, you know, and pretty close to 10. I want to respect your time. So, uh, tomorrow is Advent 1, new church here. And then on Wednesday evenings, if you're new, there's dinner here at 6 and then a Tizay service at 7. So dinner is, uh, I mean, a guy like you, you could count this as a date if you play your cards right. It's catered in from outside. It'll be like food truck one week, and then it'll be pizza another week, and then something else. You can bring your own candles, and it can be candlelight. So I mean, I, and she's a romantic woman, let's just face it right there. So uh, it's actually very good food. You come at six, and of course there's no cost because everything in the church that's worth anything is free. So, um, you know, just come at six, come at any time, uh, come at any time you want, you know, up until like three minutes to seven. So come to this room, it'll be served kind of around here. Yes, dear? You know, I don't like to click you, but... <laughs> I have noticed that. Did you hear what she said? You know I don't like to correct you. My wife. Yeah. <laughs> I have to meet her? Is that what you said? Uh, this is beautiful. Hey, I'll take you for a beer while they go out to meet each other. Yes, dear? Here, I believe it starts at 545. You are the... Well, if it was announced in choir, it must be true. Since I've slipped down the list from senior pastor behind the senior junior pastor to junior junior pastor, my information flow has been kinked. So I rarely... I rarely get the data now, which is actually quite good. I sleep better at night. So at 5.45, 5.45, there'll be dinner here. Apparently you can come for hors d'oeuvres. It'll be fabulous. Bring candles, get set up. It'll be great. So, okay, so, and then uh, today, you know, and people always kind of wonder about it, but it, it's a today service, not Americanized. It's the way if you go to today, it's the service, which is a little burst of scripture, some silence. Uh, a little burst of prayer, some silence, and a burst of song in silence. So three or four times through, and you'll be done by 7.30. So come if you like. It's, very, it's meant to you know, prompt you from the darkness into the light of Christmas. And so it's this very quiet, candlelit, in the darkness, uh, chance to relax a bit. So come if you can. 5.45 for dinner, 7 o'clock for the other part. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anything else about anything? There's one question which is too big to answer. Can you lose your salvation? Um, yeah, I mean, you can if you want. It's very difficult and it's a bad idea. Now, if that's a question about you, uh, can I lose my salvation? I'd ask myself a bunch of questions about that. I'd first, see, this can work a couple different ways. What advantage is there to me to lose my salvation? And I, if, I, if I thought there was an advantage, I'd have to give myself a good talking to. But on the other hand, um, sometimes we can do things so horrible that we think nobody could love me, not even God, and that would be the end of my salvation. That's utterly false, and we'll work through that today. God loves you even when you hate yourself, which is one of the most remarkable things. Can other people lose their salvation? Another way to pose the question is to ask this about your parents or your children or your best friend. Um, can they lose it? They too have to work at it if they want to lose it. And some people, of course, as you know, work very hard at it. At the end of the day, 
we'd be reluctant to make any judgment about anybody. I don't think in all the years I've been a pastor I've ever said, you know, that person went to hell. I've said often that person went to heaven. But the judgment belongs to the Lord, not to you or to me. And so to say, you know, that person is utterly lost is really beyond our capacity. So we might flip the question on its head and say, um, how could a person ever be saved? And then if you talk about Jesus, then you can get a solid answer. So Jesus loves this rebellious person. Jesus loves this sinner. Jesus loves all his children. Jesus wants everyone home again. If you ask a question about Jesus, you get a solid answer because Jesus is solid stuff. If you ask a question about yourself or about somebody else, you'll always get a bit of a wobble. Now, if you asked a question about anybody at this table right here, um, you could say all kinds of nice things about him. And uh, if we had a funeral for one of them, we'd say, uh, uh, man, he must be having a, f a fabulous time in heaven today. You know, that, so that, that thing could be said. But the other side, we should be really careful. Can it be lost? It can because the gospel is resistible. The gospel is a gift and all gifts are resistible. You'll get something that you'll deem to be the wrong size or color, some Christmas gift, and you'll return that. The nature of a gift, and you know this is a common word used in scripture, the nature of a gift is that it's resistible. And this is super important. I can never remember if that's A-B-L-E or I-B-L-E, but there we go. The nature of a gift is you can, and that goes with grace, mercy, love, but not with force. If you're forced, it's no gift, if you're forced to do something. By grace you've been saved, it's a gift of God, not by works. So can you throw away your gift, return your gift, bend, fold, spindle, mutilate your gift? You can, but don't, it's a bad idea. And beyond that, uh, be very careful if you consign someone to the darkness. That'd be a horrible thing. Now this came anonymously. Does that make any questions about that or kind of follow up there? Take the other side of the trade if you can. Try to get on the gospel-y side, if you can. Just questions about anything else? I've, it's a, I've, I, it always occurs to me that Alfred North Whitehead was the last great cosmologist when they were defined by being philosophers. Early 20th century said, the only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity on the far side of complexity. This is why Einstein and your three-year-old sound the same, right? So things are all very clear when you're quite young. Then things get very complex in the middle. And then really spectacularly brilliant people, uh, Richard Feynman, for example, the physicist, or pick somebody, really spectacular, spectacularly brilliant people can explain very complex things in very simple ways, and they can still be true. So one of the things about Jesus is that he explains this, the kingdom of God, which is the most fantastic thing. And he explains it in a very simple way. And I've tried to, tried to give you, you know, the simplest explanation. And so I know, you know, Manny last week said, can I take a picture of that? And I looked at what he was taking a picture. I'm like, you know, I mean, if you're gonna make a placemat out of it, you could take a picture. But as for explanation, it wasn't that good. Let me try again. So you start dead, right? That's necros. And the only story in scripture is resurrection. And 
you get resurrected into the kingdom of God, which you can also call, call the church, and you are in Christ, and you live with Christ, and you live as Christ. Luther says, we're little Christ to each other. And you spend your whole life trying to figure out what it means to live together as Christ. Now, so that was the first bit. We did baptism as the resurrection and living in a new space. And then, you know, really what I've tried to convince you over the last couple of weeks is that your sins just aren't good for you. Your sins are a really bad idea. Because um, sin goes with, you know, death and pain and hell. And hell is just when you get your way forever. Right? Hell is when God lets, finally lets you have your way forever, which is a really bad idea. You have free will, of course, but it's a bad idea to exercise it according to your own notion of freedom. That's a really bad idea. So sin and death and pain and hell, you know, sort of all go out here. It seems good. Remember, it seems good when you're doing it, but then it's, you wake up in the morning, you go, ah, you know, really? What was I thinking about, right? So the whole thing was to convince you to live in here and that this is really a bad idea out here. And you remember, there's, there's, very, there's, a, there's a strong hedge here, but it's, it's really very simple, you know. God wants to be your God and love you and hold you dear and listen to you and your family the same way. You hold them dear and love your wife and your kids. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, because everybody knows that sin goes with betrayal. And sin is, means, is always a, when love has gone bad. So all these things, but, but the, the bottom line is your sins are really, are really bad for you, right? It's just, it's just a simple thing. This is really bad for you. This is really good for you. This is love. This is hate. This is light. This is darkness. This is joy. This is profound sadness. This is consolation. This is torment. These are, and, you know, you just sort of, it's a very, very simple thing. And so the question then is, you know, how to stay here because things out here still attract me. Things out here that aren't good for me, they lie to me. That would be another thing that would go out here. Lies all go out here. These things say to me, this, I'd be really good for you. And of course, these things are really bad for you, right? So the question then is how to stay here how to stay inside here, inside the church, inside Christ, how to stay there, and then what to do um, when you're attracted to this or when you actually take a foray, a little vacation out here and are urged to stay with free room service and extra free nights. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just not good for you. It's just not good for you, right? And this is, so often the church comes across as you know, this, this kind of finger wagging, we're better than you, or aren't you so stupid, or what? You know, this is all about, out here you're deformed, and in the, in the literal sense. Here, you, Adam is formed in the image of God, and out here you're deformed. You remember in the scriptures, it talks about being conformed, being pressed into the image of Christ. Like, a, like when a coin is stamped in a machine, that's actually the Greek word, it's when you made a coin, and put the image on the coin, that's what you should look like. So, you know, to be, to be conformed, formed in the same way as Jesus. And what we need to talk about then is how, how, um, how ruined we are when we're, 
when we're outside. I mean, this is just all the things that go here. And you can tell this story. This story will be told around every holiday table in America in the next month or two. Now, what you don't want to be is um, you don't want to be the person who touches evil things. And you got, a, you got, a, you got a, uh, an, an idea of what evil was from the Ten Commandments. If you have other gods, if you uh, take other lovers, if you have your was truthiness for a while, now it's your own truth or an alternative truth. It keeps changing because it's such a stupid thing to say. You have to keep relabeling it in an Orwellian way until one will finally stick. But you know, all of that stuff is just a horribly bad idea because in the end, and I mean the real end, um, that'll, be the, that'll, that'll, that'll be your end. So whenever we you know, touch evil, we give it life. Right. Out here, we, you, know, you can just think about this in terms of you know, even our national politics or our natural engagement. You know, lies take life on the lips of human people. Right? We touch things that are evil and we make them popular. We give them life. We give them activity. You give evil incarnation the way God gives Jesus incarnation. Holiness finds its incarnation in the flesh and blood of Christ. Evil finds its incarnation in the flesh and blood of Adam and all of Adam's children. So that's kind of as far as we've tried to go, just to convince you that your sins are really bad for you. Now here's the gospel. Jesus, I mean, as simple as it can be, Jesus takes away your sins. So we talk about this all the time, that Jesus takes away your sins. What is it? Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us, right? We know this. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Just take this very literally. It's as if God emptied your pockets of all your sins. It's as if he took them away from you, and now your sins don't belong to you anymore. If you take them back, you're a thief, and that would break the seventh commandment. So Jesus takes away your sins, don't take them back, right? This is what will happen in absolution tomorrow. Jesus is going to take away your sins. You're going to kneel down, and then Jesus will reach toward you, and he will take your sins away. I mean, literally the way he would take your vest away from you. And he won't give it back. He'll say, this is really bad for you. You shouldn't, don't, don't, and you may find a way to do it again in a different direction, but at least he's, he takes these away. Jesus takes away your sins. Please don't take them back. That's, and so when he, he, when he takes away your sins, he restores you here. Or if, he, if you've moved to the edge, when he takes away your sins, he moves you back here kind of to safety. The question about salvation is really, how do you cross this line? That's a hard thing. If you read at the beginning of Romans where it says, do you presume upon the righteousness of God? You think you can dance on this edge and hope nothing will go wrong. You can goof around out here and, you know, it'll just, it'll all just work itself out. You know, Paul says, don't do that. You know, you presume upon the righteousness of God. You presume everything's going to be okay, even though you act like a little pagan. And no, Paul's like, yeah, don't do that, okay? So that, that opens now trouble in a bunch of directions. We have to see if we can clean it up a little bit. Questions about anything? You okay? All right, so... I'm going to presume, at least initially, that you're a good-hearted sinner and you'd like to be free of it. You know, there's another side, which is to be 
sort of a hard-hearted sinner and you want to hold on to your sins. As long as we're here, we might as well do the unforgivable sin. Is this mine? Is that where I set that down last? How about that? Now, sharp as a tack at my old age. The unforgivable sin is when you won't let Jesus take it away. If Jesus comes to you tomorrow and says, the vest, please. And he, it's new. It's in my color palette and it suits me perfectly. Jesus will say, it's really not so, it's, you're not gonna like it. It's not gonna make its way. You, no, the unforgivable sin is any sin that you hold outside Jesus' reach. So tomorrow, if you have 100 sins and Jesus says, I'm here to take them all away, and you say to Jesus, well, you can have 99, but I've got this one I need to nurture and grow and use later in revenge or for advantage. That's the, people are always nervous about, you know, did I do something that can't be forgiven? Not unless you hold on to it when Jesus comes to get it. But let's presume you're a bit of a guilty sinner. So you have this first one that says, this is how sin feels. I've just tried to give you the progression of, you know, how things work. And I find this to be a fairly universal experience. There are, of course, times when people love their sins and won't give them up. And then we have to work from another direction. But let's presume at first, uh, you know, you've shown up on a Saturday and climbed the barricades like in Les Mis. So I guess it's all, you know, good. I am alone in the dark. And I am thinking what darkness would be mine if I could see the ruin I wrought in every place I wandered. And if I could not be aware of the one who follows after me. So I suspect you've had this experience. I mean, you really, there's a day when you wake up and you, you say about yourself, I can't believe I did that. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Just think if you can recall, but not too hard because these things can get you down. But can you think of a, a sin that you did where you even surprised yourself? Right? You betrayed a friend, or you told a lie that really wounded somebody, took something that wasn't yours, right? That's when you're alone and in the dark. Whom do I love, O oh God, when I love you? The great undoer. So you do your sins, and Jesus undoes them. The great undoer who has torn apart the walls I built against a human heart. The mender who has sewn together the hedges through which I broke when I went seeking it. See, the, the mender who fixed this. Right, that's it. The Lord who follows and forgives forgives me still. I mean, the, the lost sheep, right? Fumbler and fool that I am, with things, around, with things around me of fragile make, like souls. How I am blessed to hear behind me the footsteps of the Savior. I sing to the east, I sing to the west. God is my repairer of fences, turning my paths into rest. So at least for this beginning notion, tomorrow when you kneel down, please recall the sins of the week that have troubled you since the last time you knelt down. So we come in, and the first thing we say is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is to say, I belong, I belong to Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I belong to Jesus. 
And then the first thing that the pastor Witt will do, he's a, he's a bit of a, he's a strong man. You know, the first thing he'll say, up, 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 not so fast, not so fast. If we say that everything is okay since we saw you last, ah, that would be a bit of an overstatement. So Pastor Witt will say, why don't you kneel down and think about this for just a moment? And if you're honest with yourself, you might bring some things to mind. Now, if you don't bring some things to mind, you don't have to feel bad about that. You can just reflect on, the, on your own dark heart. And if you have any sense of guilt or sadness or depression or alienation or loneliness, you can be sure that something out here was the cause. That isn't to conflate mental illness with spiritual illness with physical illness. It's just to say, in here is no illness at all. So tomorrow when you kneel down, you just ask yourself, why am I troubled in any direction? Body, soul, and spirit. Why am I troubled in any direction? And the answer is sins. What are sins? Things that live out here. And I brought them home with me and it's been horrible. Or I took a vacation out here and it wasn't as promised. In hell, they think of everything. Even the coffee is cold far side. So anyway, you have to be of a particular age to understand these things. <laughs> I'm aging out. This is why Pastor Witt is here, because he'll have all new movie references pretty soon. It'll be great. This is how absolution feels. So the first one is, uh, you know, um, you're, this is how absolution feels. Who's a good dog? Well, that's a hell of a question. Who's a good boy? Who among us can be said to be good? This is really important, said to be good. You are. But tomorrow, when you kneel down, Pastor Witt's going to say to you, you're a good boy. You're a good. And actually, in his saying of it, he'll bestow goodness. You know the old baseball joke? The pitcher throws a pitch, the catcher catches the pitch, and the umpire is silent. And finally the catcher says, was it a ball or a strike? And the umpire says, it's nothing till I say it's something. Exactly the same. Till Pastor Vitt speaks tomorrow, it's nothing until he says something. If he's worth his stole, he'll say to you that you're a good boy. I forgive you all your sins. What? This is amazing. And that's how absolution feels. Now, almost nobody can believe it. That's the interesting thing. Because if we believe it, you know, to, to be immediately at pastor's word moved from out here or here right back to here is almost unbelievable. Nobody can quite really hold on to that. And so I give you, um, you know, no less than Rembrandt. So this right here is how it works. So first was how sin feels and then how absolution feels. So how does it feel? It feels like darkness. How does it feel? It feels like light. How does it feel? It feels like bad. How does it feel? It feels like good. But then you have this very famous Rembrandt, which I'm sure you know is the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is really the only story in scripture. If you only had the prodigal son or if you only had the woman caught in adultery, if you only had that, the story of the lost sheep, if you only had you know, Easter morning, they're all the same story. 
It's a story of death and resurrection. If you only had this painting, you would have everything. So you look at this, and usually I'd quiz you a bit because we're running long. Let me just um, sort of suggest a couple of things, right? This is the return of the prodigal. He's buried his face in his father's robes, and you wonder if he's weeping for joy and also for sadness. And um, he's tattered a bit, but you know how the story goes. He's about to get everything. And you'll notice now, if you're sort of an art historian type or aficionado, you notice, and people always notice this, look at the father's hands. There's, there's a masculine hand and a feminine hand. There's a strong hand and a soft hand. His hands don't match. It's like the icon of Jesus the teacher where the eyes don't match. Jesus has a law eye. It squints a bit and kind of is like, why would you do that? And then there's this very wide open gospel eye. In the same way, you have this restoration of a child through law and gospel or through strength. The father never compromises never changes the message, but he delivers the message in a way that's soft and accessible and merciful and resurrecting. And then you always have faces in the background who are a little bit skeptical about why would you love that guy, but that's how absolution looks. If you come to see Pastor Witt for absolution during Advent, you can come for private absolution if you want. It'll be, I, I'm afraid to say anything now. Kirby, what time is private absolution? Did you get a memo from somebody? <laughs> Do you know what time it starts? What time is absolution? Is it 5.30? If you want to come and have, go to private absolution, it'll be in the candlelight and the darkness at the back altar. I think it starts at 5.30. There'll be a pastor there waiting. If you wander up and there's somebody else's slumped over the rail. Um, you know, it's a mortal sin to get close enough to listen into their confession. So keep your distance and you know, wait in the back row. But um, otherwise, if you go to Pastor Vit, it'll end up looking just like this. Friend? 515. 5.15. Well, that only makes sense if dinner starts at 5.45. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so at 5, 5, from on, on the Wednesdays before dinner, if you want to go in and say, I've got this sin that's been bothering me. Or you can say, well, I never did this before. And then Pastor Britt will say, well, it's pretty simple stuff. Um, Jesus loves you and it's all going to be great. Do you have this, the big sheet? Friend. Scott. Scott. Yes. Uh, another thing about the... Yes. The son has one shoe off and one shoe on. Absolutely. And you know, do you have a guess why he's got one shoe off and one shoe on? Okay, so we'll hold on, then we'll chatter about it. It's beautiful, right? So pick up this little thing. Let's just read the story. I know you know this story. It's the big sheet that says there's only one story in Scripture, death and resurrection. And I'll, I'll gloss it for you a little bit because you've heard this story before. Do you have it? Do you have it like this? Yeah, it looks like this. I mean, this is the most beautiful story. You, you could, you're fully human if you can find your place in this story. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. This is kind of interesting. You know, it's a mixed crowd. Well, you know, people who are broken and people who are prideful and people who think they need him and people who think they don't. Because the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, what a guy. 
you know, he's always, he's always with sinners, and he eats with them. Now, to eat with them is to approve them, right? In the, in the Middle East at this time, if you sat down and, 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 and had dinner with somebody, that means you approved them, you loved them, you accepted them. It's an honor and shame culture. And frankly, we're still an honor and shame culture. We just don't understand it quite so well. But all of social media is honor and shame. Jesus said, hey, there was a man who had two sons. So that should be a happy story. Until the younger of them, now you have to remember, the younger son got nothing. Uh, the younger son, this, is, this, could be, this could be, you know, all my Iowa relatives, you know, in the last hundred years, which is the farm goes to the oldest boy. You can't split the farm up because then nobody can farm. So the first son gets everything and everybody else might get a little something, but you don't make any demands because you're not the oldest son. So the oldest son is privileged and the, everybody else comes in sort of second place. So it's startling then that the younger of them said to his father, let me just translate this for you from the Greek, drop dead. Because the only way that a son gets inheritance from a father is if his father actually dies. You know, I know the text says, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. I mean, he, his father could say, well, that would be zero because you're the younger son and younger sons don't get anything. So have it all, enjoy yourself. But what this really means is that he, he, he says to his father the equivalent. Now, honor and shame culture. He says to his father, hey, drop dead. I wish you'd die. To which the father said, okay. And he divided his property between them. Now, this is just crazy stuff. So first the father kills himself by giving the younger son part of the property which is going to shame his older son and expose himself to shame in the broader community because everybody knows what everybody's doing in a small town like Blairstown, Iowa, right? Everybody knows what's happening. Sorry, Blairstown, you just come to mind sometimes. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and now he has something sells off the property for 50 cents on the dollar, takes off to the big city. He took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. Money goes fast. Uh, as somebody once said to me here, money comes in in pickup trucks and goes out in dump trucks. True for almost any business. Money comes in in pickups, goes out in dump trucks easy to spend money, anybody can do it. And when he had spent everything, now watch the descent, when he'd spent everything, when he'd moved closer and closer and closer and closer to this, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, you know, a foreign country, another country, people who are not his own. And he sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Now, if he's a good Jewish boy, of course the pigs are unclean animals. And so, you know, if we presume that about him, um, his life has come undone and he's become completely deformed. He is, in a way, unhuman. He is now living like an animal because it says, 
he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And then the most horrible thing, the most ungospelly thing you can say, and no one gave him anything. There was no gift to be found, no gift to be had. Nobody gave him anything. This is, you know, you, can, you can't say a more horrible thing about a person. No one loves them. No one cares about them. No one gives them anything. It sounds great to be on your own until you're actually on your own. Doesn't sound good at all then. When he came to himself, now there's a little bit of an answer about to this very substantive question about can you lose your salvation. When he came to himself, and there wasn't much of himself left, but you know, always hope. When he came to himself, he said, my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat, but I'm gonna starve to death. So here is what I will do. Here's what I will do. I will arise and go to my father and I'll make a deal with him. Now, this is dangerous to be making deals, but I'll make a deal with him. I will say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That, those two sentences are actually true. He sinned against God and he sinned against his father. I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's actually true too. There's nothing, you know, like, what can I say? I did it. Guilty as charged. Treat me as one of your uh, hired servants. So he proposes the deal and he's going to make some excuses. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. His father, whom he told to drop dead, actually didn't harden his heart against his son. In fact, his heart is still filled with compassion. This is the word for um, when things are soft inside. This is what you feel when you see somebody you love very much, especially if they're troubled. This is, this is empathy, this is mercy, this is yearning, kind of all bundled up. And it's very interesting because while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, there's so much going on here. In the ancient world, this is true for Greeks and for Hebrews, right? This, in the ancient world, old men did not run. If you were an old man and you ran, you shamed yourself. I mean, literally, you had robes, so you had to you know, hike up your robes and expose your legs to run. So there's kind of this you know, toward nakedness idea, immodesty. Old men didn't run. You can find this in the Romans. You can find it in the Hebrews. You shame yourself when you run if you're an old man. The other thing is, is that you have this very interesting idea that he appears on the horizon in his father's season. Which means his father, you know, every day, you know, went to the top of the house or stood in the road and said, I wonder if this will be the day that he'll come back to me. His soft-hearted father, who had been shamed, now shames himself. You should be here in Calvary here. You should be thinking Jesus who had been shamed, shames himself for the salvation of others. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
when you embrace and when you kiss, you elevate another person's status to your own. You just think about the nature of a hug. When you hug someone, you pull them into your same level. It's a beautiful thing about an embrace or about a kiss. You say, you and I, we are simpatico, we are the same, we're in love. He runs to him, he hugs him, and he kisses him. And of course, everybody's watching. Because in a small town, you can't run down the middle of the street, especially if you're a rich man with farms, and especially if people know that your son left you. And the son said to him, hey, let's make a deal. Because I've got some really good excuses you should listen to. I sinned against heaven and before you. That much is true. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true too. And then his father makes him stop. His father won't let him make any excuses. There's no excuses for your sins. Your sins are yours and they belong to you. Your sins are yours because you touch evil. My sins are mine. Nobody can make me sin. Every one of my sins are mine. I own them because I gave them life. There is no excuse for sin. And there is nothing you can do to make it right. Theologically, this is justification, right? By grace, you're saved as a gift from God. It wasn't anything you can boast about, not by works. So here it is, Jesus and Paul agreeing. Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. That when you kneel down, Pastor Vitt will be listening for this. He'll be listening for you to say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And then, thought, word, and deed, he'll be listening for that. I'm no longer worthy of anything. He'll be listening for that. But then, he's young and strong. He'll pop up before you can make a deal. And he won't wait for you to give any excuses. He'll just turn around and say, in the stead and by the command, I forgive you all your sins. It's going to be fabulous. Tomorrow you're the prodigal and he's the father. The father said to his servants, I'm no longer worthy. And his father said, that's right. Now he stops and changes the conversation. The father said to his servants, everybody's in on this. Now remember, faith agrees. And you agree with the master. And you might think this kid's a bum, but what you think doesn't matter. In fact, when you sit down tomorrow, you might think the kids next to you are a bum, and you think the parents must be bums too. Guess what? It doesn't matter what you think. In the church, you only get to think what Jesus thinks. You get to be conformed. What you think doesn't matter tomorrow. What matters is what Jesus thinks about you and about other people. And so you agree with them. The servants do the work. Your servants do the work. The father said to his servants, bring the best robe, which is likely the father's own robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand. Maybe the ring with the family crest, maybe the ring that has a signet so he can sign documents. Because, you know, he's a reliable business guy. Did such a good job with that first half. And... Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a party. There's only a couple of times you kill the fatted calf. Birth is one, death is another. What? Death and resurrection? And let us eat and celebrate. And then this is all you need to know about all the scriptures. 
for my son was dead and now he's alive. My son was lost and now he's found. Boom. That's the entire story of scripture. People who are lost get found. People who are dead get resurrected. It's the only story in scripture. And it's all a gift. And it's given by your heavenly father who loves you. Even though, frankly, you're a bum and you've squandered everything. I've squandered everything. And yet tomorrow, I'm going to come tomorrow. And then Pastor Vitt, who will be speaking for Jesus, you'll know that because he's going to dress up. And he's going to erase everything he's got. Why do pastors wear vestments? So tomorrow you look at him. If you've got any sins, you look for a guy wearing a collar. Why does Pastor Vitt have a collar? For the same reason a dog has a collar. He has a master. So he'll wear a collar and then he'll put on a stole. That means he's fit to hear your confession and will go to his grave before he'll reveal it. And then he'll cover himself up. So all you need to know about him, even though you may know about his affinity from Nards, what you really want to know is, um, not about his lovely wife, but he has feet, so his feet aren't covered, so he can get to you. And he has hands, so he can reach out and bless you. Even put the sign of the cross on you and keep the devils away and a mouth so he can talk to you, and ears so he can listen to you. That's all you need to know about him. He need, everything else is covered up. He's got feet to get to you, hands to touch you in case you need a baptism, a mouth to talk to you, ears to listen to you. That's what your pastor is good for. And that's, of course, what the Father does here, right? And that's what Jesus does. So tomorrow, Pastor Vitt's going to take away your sins. Don't take them back, and we'll talk next week. If you need a little foreshadowing on where that comes from, John 20 is your chapter, but we won't get there for another week or two. And you would think you could just go on the rest of the year with just a voters meeting or two that would last 10 minutes each and everybody would vote for everything, right? You would think the church would be fabulous. You would think that the Pope wouldn't be kicking cardinals out, and you would think that, you know, you would think that, uh, you know, ecumenism would work perfectly. You would think it would all just work out, right? You would just think it would be great. You would think everybody would love everybody. You know, just how it was at your house at Thanksgiving, where everybody loved everybody, and, you know, why are the commercials starting to run about your annoying family at Christmas? Well, because there's a history here. But, Everything was good for about four minutes, and then the older son was in the field, and he came home, and he got close, and he heard music and dancing. And he saw the disco ball. <laughs> Ohio players were, you know, just checking to see if you know, just checking, just cultural reference, yeah. Extra credit if you know that the Ohio players are from Ohio Street in Chicago, not from the great state of Ohio. And they, he says, what's up? And then the servant says, hey, I'm just agreeing with your old man. Your brother came home and your father killed the fatted calf because he ran this the most beautiful, because he received him back. Look at this, safe and sound. Look at that picture. Man, Manny, does that guy look like he's safe and sound to you? He doesn't look safe and sound. What, what he's safe and sound? Why does he have one, why does he have a sandals off, Manny? Why, why do you say, what do you say? The son returned like a slave. Yes, exactly. He, he, has, he, he, he's, he returns as a slave, right? And he's elevated, new shoes make him. He got some new kicks, it's beautiful. 
You know, poor people didn't have shoes, right? If you had shoes, that meant you were rich. It means you were important. It means you were, I mean, he doesn't, the only shoes he's got is kind of the ones he left in, and they're horrible. But the older son turned into a prodigal, and he ran away. I mean, that's my interpretation here. He was angry. He refused to go in. Look, so this is a great story, right? You got a younger son who goes here and he comes back. And then the older son sees this. And all the father does all day long is run after his hoodlum kids. Because they won't stay where he put them. They won't, he won't, they won't do what he told them. They acted like, you know, nothing mattered, right? So the son is angry. He refuses to go in. Hey, if my brother's in here, I'm living out here. You kind of go, well, that's dumb. D-U-M. This is hell out here. You don't want to, I mean, you might not like everybody at Tazay dinner, or, you know, 5.45 this Wednesday, catered in, food truck. You might not like everybody, but you know what? Why cut off your nose to spite your face? Why be a prodigal? He said to him, your brother has come and your father killed the fatted calf and received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, he refused to go in. His father came out and begged him. But he said to his father, drop dead. <laughs> what is this, a theme here? What is this, everybody's crazy in this house? All these years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. I mean, if you're an older child, perhaps you said this to your parents. I'm a second child, I have a different hermeneutic for life. Yet you never, ever gave me a young goat Never, ever, that I could have a party with my friends. I never got anything. I mean, except for the half you gave me when you split up the estate, but, you know. When this son of yours, he doesn't say my brother, this son of yours, that husband of yours, that father of yours, think about everything that's said around the dinner table. When that son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, Hold on, that's not in the story. But imagination, right? Imagination runs wild. We've never expressed, my imagination ran wild. I mean, he might have just traded Bitcoin. You don't know what he did. You killed the fattened calf for him? You like him more than me? He gets the same wage I get, even though he only worked the last hour of the day and other parables that Jesus taught. Now the father, and you know, for you who are fathers or mothers, just remember you're always the father and your kid is always the kid. Once you have kids, you never get to be the kid again, which means you have to act like a grown-up, which means you have to act like your heavenly father. The father said to him, Son, so he refuses to let the son not be a son. I'm no son of yours. Oh, yes, you are. You might be a bad son. You might be a bum of a son. But hey, you can't be anything other than a son. He said to him, son, you're always with me. Embrace. You're always with me. Come close. You're always mine. And all that is mine is yours including your no-good hoodlum prodigal brother who happens to be my son, and so he happens to be your brother, and there's nothing you can do about it. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for 
Don't you remember? There's only one story in scripture. Your brother was lost and now he's found. Your brother is dead, now he's alive. If you only had, if you only had that story, if you only had that story, you would know everything you need to know. I mean, for a very happy life and certainly to uh, act as a good entree into heaven. How you doing? You still okay? Just a lot of observations. I mean, it's after 10, you've got to go. I mean, you got to, but I mean, just kind of think about this first in terms of the church and how the church treats people and how the church acts and what pastors say. Forget about what people say and how people present the gospel and what they say is true. Then think about yourself, especially if you're a parent. Think about your kids and all the dumb stuff they do. But while you're thinking about that, you should also think about your parents and when you were a kid and all the dumb stuff you did. And you might console yourself with the fact that you grew out of it. But then, of course, you might, instead of being the older son, you might wait for your own kids to grow out of it, you know, like the prodigal grew out of it, yeah. And then you should ask yourself what kind of church you want to have and what kind of family you want to have and what kind of life you want to have. And my very strong advice is that you want to have this family rather than this family. And you probably want to work really hard in your own life and in your own family and your own church to have this family. And if your own life or your own family or your own church presents like this, instead of like this, then there's a lot of work to do. It's a lot of work to keep this like this. It's a lot of work to be a well-balanced Christian. It's a lot of work to have a good family. It's a lot of work to have a good church. The proof is everywhere because there's more people who are out of their minds and more families that are broken and more churches that are absolutely cranky and horrible than there are that are good. You got to go to work. The good news is you've been resurrected. You're a prodigal who has come home and Christ forgives everything. Tomorrow he's going to come take away all your sins. All the ones that are going to put you out here as a person, as a family, as a church, he's going to take them all away. Tell you, not take them back. Now, Pastor Witt, he won't do this. He's going to do it more like this. This is code for do not take them back. Watch, he is going to code it to you. Questions about any of that? That's all we got, except that's everything, and it kind of goes on forever. We'll talk about it a little more next week. Um, we just really need to talk about this. This is, this is everything in the church. The forgiveness of sins is everything. You know, you can call it what you want. Holiness, righteousness, justification, whatever you want to call it. This is all the church has got. Making wrongs right. Making wrongs right. That's forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus. He comes to make wrongs right. So we'll keep talking about that. We'll go next week. Don't worry. The donuts will be here and the doors will be open. The barricades will be down at 8.30 a.m. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you soon.